second and watch all of you being family together. That's, that brings me a lot of joy. Well, if you are just joining us for the first time this year, um, every time in January that we can, January rolls around, we like to take a month to pause and um, refocus where we are headed as a church, to get on the same page, to make sure that we're pulling in the same direction. And typically this time of year, what we would be doing is introducing you to a new kind of purpose or vision for that year, saying this is what our focus is going to be, this is where we're running. But as we, the elders and, and pastoral staff, got together last November to begin prayerfully going, God, where are you leading us? It became very evident very quickly that God was saying, I don't need to give you new direction, just kind of encourage you to keep pushing in the same direction because I've already shown you what I want you to be about and what I want you to be doing. And so we doubled down this year, and I anticipate for the years to come, for as long as God has us in this posture, we doubled down into our purpose as a church. So let's throw that up here for just a moment. Our purpose statement. There we are. All right. So... Lighthouse Community Church is committed to making disciples. That is the real key focus for us is making disciples, fully committed followers of Jesus who love God, love one another, and love our neighbor. Hold on, back up. So that is what we want to and feel called to focus on as a church, not just for a year, but for as long as we, God continues to say, this is what I'm calling you to, it's the same Thing that he called his disciples to right before he ascended into heaven. He said, listen, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, so therefore go make disciples. And I love that word go there because it's, it's really as you're going, as you're going along, as you are just going through life, the people I bring into proximity, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that kind of I'm in, I'm ready to be part of this tribe. But then secondly, teaching them to obey everything that I have taught you. Because it's not simply about a momentary intellectual ascent. I believe in you, God. I am now a Christ follower. I accept you into my heart. End of story. Now I'm going to go on and live any way that I want. We recognize that saying yes to Jesus is the, be, is the starting line of a lifetime of following him. And I love, the, those weren't the last words that Jesus said. These were the last words he said. And I will be with you always to the very end of the age. I'm not leaving you alone. I'm not going to abandon you. You're not going to be doing this on your own. You're not going to be disciple makers without me being here. So here's what we are about. We are about making disciples, fully committed followers of Jesus. But that begins with us. Because we can't lead somebody that we have not been ourselves. We can't give something to someone that we don't have ourselves. Or if we do, then we're nothing more than used car salesmen that don't drive our own product. And that's the last thing we want. So over the course of this month, we are going to be exploring what that means. Because honestly, you go, okay, disciples, yeah, that's a, that's a wonderful Christianese word we throw around in the church. But what does that mean? And if, if we're not just called to make disciples, but we're called to be disciples, then, then how do I know if I'm doing that? What are the markers of a fully committed follower of Jesus? Well, what I really love about our purpose statement, and when we were put, don't nope, go back, there we go. I know you want to move me on. No, not yet. Um, what, what I love, when we were writing this and we were praying through God, how can we be intentional 
to not just throw something up that is, that is great that we print on something and move on and we never look at it again. We wanted a single statement that could not both articulate what we are about, but also how we go about the process by which we become that. So we are about making disciples, fully committed followers of Jesus, but here are the markers of what it means to be a disciple. Somebody who loves God. Somebody who loves their neighbor, or I'm sorry, loves one another, that we're doing life with other fully committed followers of Jesus who spur us on while we spur them on to keep following him through the, 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 the green pastures and the dark valleys of our lives. And then finally, that we would love our neighbors, those people beyond the walls of this church, that we would recognize that it's not just about being filled up so that we can be more comfortable and more confident about our own relationship with God, but that we would be equipped and then sent to go be the church beyond the walls of this place because this building is not the church. We are the church. Hopefully all of this is review because that's what we're about. So over the course of the next three weeks, we're going to unpack each of these different markers, loving God, loving one another, and loving our neighbor because each of them are rich and deep and they are an integral component for how we become disciples who can also walk alongside others who are being discipled into the image of Christ. For today, we're going to focus on that first one, loving God. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 15. If you do not have a Bible, we've, in, we've put some in the seat backs in front of you or you guys can reach underneath. By the way, if you don't own a Bible, you are more than welcome to take the one that you're holding. Unless you borrow somebody's next year's, in which case you need to ask them before you do that, right? But you're welcome to take it. That's the reason why we chose to purchase new Bibles that didn't look like hymnals because we recognized that people were a little hesitant to take those out of here and we wanted to give you something that also has some study guide notes and things like that. So those are yours if you don't own a Bible. And we've got extra, so, so don't worry that you're going to be stealing it from someone else. Now, as you turn into John 15, I just want to remind you of what we talked about last week. So, now Victoria, now it's time. There we go. So last week we talked about, well, what does it mean to really be a disciple? Like, what were the goals of somebody who was following another person to be discipled by them? And we discussed the fact that the first and most foundational goal of a disciple is that they would be with their rabbi, their teacher. And we weren't, that's not just for like a couple hours a day, three days a week. This is 24-7. A disciple would move into the home of the rabbi. He would do life with his rabbi. He would go everywhere his rabbi went, do everything his rabbi did. Because it would naturally, then more is caught than taught. And so as you were spending time in proximity to your rabbi, you were slowly being shaped into your rabbi's image, which is the second goal of any disciple, is to become like your rabbi. Ultimately, you would begin to think like your rabbi thinks. Reason like your rabbi reasons. When you encounter somebody, the way you naturally interact with them is shaped by your rabbi. Just this week, in fact, I was, I was, I was, I, I laughed in a way that my old, um, one of my old pastors and one of my old friends, Mike Erie, laughs. Like this big, like belly laugh, which is not how I used to laugh. But I've picked it up and it's become part of who I am because of the proximity and the time I spent walking with him. And so you think about the ways that you've been shaped by people you've done life with. 
particularly when it's really close life on life, you become shaped by them. Our children begin to do the very things that we do. So parents, this is a good reminder that they're, they're watching and they're picking stuff up. And yeah, yeah. So we want to spend time with our rabbi, be with our rabbi so that we become more like our rabbi so that ultimately we can do what our rabbi did. This is, this is no small thing to invite somebody into your life to walk with you. And so for rabbis in Jesus' day, they were very um, picky about who they would invite. And their goal is, if I'm going to invest in somebody 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and invite this person into my life, I want to make sure that this person can ultimately carry the yoke of teaching that I am going to place on their shoulders so that they can then teach that yoke of teaching to another generation so that they too can make disciples. But all of these things, particularly becoming like our rabbi so that we can do what a rabbi does, are contingent upon that first goal. It is the most foundational goal. We need to be with our rabbi. Otherwise, we're just, we're just faking it. We're just trying to do something. We're acting. And so in John chapter 15, Jesus, recognizing the, the massive importance of an intimate relationship to be shaped in the image of the one whom we want to represent. He has a conversation with his disciples. It's one of the last conversations, well, it's actually about the last conversation he has with them before he is arrested and crucified. And he knows it's coming. And so he begins this conversation by taking off his outer robe and, and putting on a towel and getting down and washing their feet, modeling for them servant leadership and saying, hey, listen, if I, your rabbi, washed your feet, then you should take the same posture of service with others around you. And then he spends a good amount of time explaining, listen, I'm going to the Father, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send God's Spirit, the same Spirit that hovered over the deep in the beginning when God, before God began to form the world according to His will. The same Spirit that empowered Jesus throughout his public ministry, the same spirit that would ultimately raise Jesus from the dead. He said, that spirit will be in you and with you and guide you and empower you to do the things I'm calling you to do. So that is kind of the, the foundation to now he, what he's about to say to them. And in John chapter 15, he uses a metaphor to describe the importance of them doing life together. Can we throw the, the picture of the vine and branches up there? So you, you guys have heard, and you know this probably, you've, heard, you've read this a thousand times, but this is a grapevine right here. And the grapevine itself is the brown part. It looks kind of like a big stick, but this is what the, root, the roots go deep into the ground, and it's pretty thick and gnarly. This is the part that survives throughout every season. And then off of this vine are these little sticks that come up, and those are the branches. And it's the branches that ultimately have foliage, the greenery, as well as the fruit that will grow on them. And Jesus uses this metaphor to a people who were very familiar with an agricultural um, kind of lifestyle. They saw vines and branches all day long, every day. And so Jesus says this in verse uh, chapter 15, verse 4. 
remain, or some of your translations might have, abide in me as I also remain in you. Because no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine and neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And so Jesus now drives the metaphor home. He says, I am that life-giving vine. I am the one through whom all sustenance nourishment and empowerment for you to bear fruit comes. I'm the vine and you are a branch. And if you remain or abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you're you're not a fruit-bearing vine. Apart from me, you're a stick, a dried stick that is good for nothing but to be used to play swords with somebody or maybe you know, weave a chair out of or, or, or put into the fire and burn. Apart from me, you can't bear fruit, but if you remain in me, and that is the key word there, that word remain, which many of us have grown up understanding that it's the word abide. And this is the key word because it's, it, it, it's a commingling of and a connection to that is so intimate, so close that there's no kind of clear delineation as to where one ends and the next begins. They're simply a part of one another. And so you look at this vine and the branches start at some point there. And the only indication that you get that the branch has begun is you start seeing leaves on it. But this branch is so intimately connected into the vine that it is part and parcel of it. the, The two cannot be separated without damaging and destroying what they were created to do. Now, this is all well and good, and it would have made a whole lot of sense to Jesus' disciples because they saw these day in and day out. But we don't live in an agrarian society. We don't walk by grapevines all the time unless you, you, know, you spend some time up in the north or you grew up in Santa Rosa like my wife. Like, okay, you see those there, but not here. So let me give you a different metaphor. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, looked at his disciples They said, you are the light of the world. And he basically said, "You you are intended, you were designed to radiate the light of my love and hope into the dark spaces that you find yourself being so that people will ultimately be led back to me. So, using this metaphor, and I got a big one so that you guys can see it all the way in the back. Using this metaphor, I know I'm compensating. You and I were designed to be a light, shining in the darkness. This is to symbolize you and me. And this is my favorite metaphor I get to use, so I just, I can't, I'm so happy I get to pull this out again. Um, This light bulb symbolizes you and it symbolizes me. We were created, designed by God to radiate the light of his hope and his love into our communities, into our schools into our workplaces, into the places that we frequent, like Charlie does at the YMCA every time he goes there. He radiates the love of Jesus Christ there. Like Ramsey back there does every time he works over at the Orange County Fairgrounds, working with the cattle there, or every time he takes his dog down to the dog beach, he is a representative of Jesus Christ. The same way Darlene does when she walks down the street and accosts people in Jesus' name right? Plants a big old kiss on him. And and everybody knows what color lipstick Darlene wears because it's all over all our cheeks. We were all designed 
to be a light bulb shining in the darkness. But we all know that without electricity, without something pouring into this that enables it to light up, this is not a light, but this, is, this will not bear light in and of itself. And without that connection to a power source, it's nothing but a glorified paperweight. But if you take this and you connect it into a power source, into the vine, I've got to be careful not to like box myself in here too much because then I won't be able to move. You take this, and as you screw it, and, and the reason, by the way, that I love this metaphor is because the base of this light bulb is intended and designed to screw into the power source. And as it does, as it draws closer, you see that when it's, when it's even just a little bit connected, eh, not so much light, but the more and more it gets connected, the deeper it goes, the power starts flowing, the more intense that becomes. And even still, you keep screwing, you keep going, and I, I might actually break this if I keep screwing it too much. But this isn't going to fall out. It is, it is connected all the way in so that if I pick up the light bulb, I'm ultimately picking up the entire lamp. This is a metaphor for what we were designed to be, intimately connected to our power source, to God. This is what abiding looks like, to rest in our Father. It is not, it is not an action. It is not an activity. It is a posture of being. And it is built off of the belief that God gets more pleasure out of our presence than he does out of our productivity. That he simply wants to be with us. But we as human beings have this tendency to invert that. What, 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 what the, the vine metaphor that Jesus drives at in, in John 15 and the light metaphor that we are using both point to is the fact that the productivity is a product of the connectivity. The fruit comes from our connection. But we flip that. And we begin to go through life thinking that if I want to have an intimate connection to my Father God, if I want to be close to Him, I need to bear some fruit. I need to shine brighter because I know what a screw-up I am. I'm well familiar with my shortcomings. And God's not glorified in that. So I better try harder to shine brighter so that He'll want to be closer to me. At least that's how I often feel. And Jesus recognized that that is in each of us, is this tendency to want to do. Even this week, I was reminded of it. A few of us got to go to a, a conference, and part of what that conference was, was writing a statement of who we are, kind of a declaration. This is who I am. I can rest in it. And I'm a pastor. I've done this before. I, I got this in the bag. So I knocked this thing out and I was just sitting back watching everybody else like noodle it. I'm like, I'm the man. The way man. And um, ah, it's so bad. That's like 40 humor. I'm old man humor coming in. I apologize. So I'm sitting back here proud of my, my identity statement. And then we start talking about it around the table. And the guy who's he's kind of leading us through this goes, okay, Eric, tell me what you... And I go, 
You know, I'm a son of God created in his image to, uh, you know, to do, and I start telling all of these things that I was created to do. God bless you, Danielle. And he goes, yeah, I, I hear a whole lot of doing, doing, doing words. Take those out. I'm like, no, that's who I am. He's like, no, that's what you do. That's not who you are. Who are you? I kept cutting and cutting and cutting, and it was painful. But ultimately what I arrived at is that we, and this is what I realized, is I find so much of my identity through what I do, but I am not a human doing, I'm a human being. So who are we? And when it comes to abiding, it is not about doing something to draw near to God. It is about simply resting in him, and out of that comes the fruit or the light but it's so hard not to approach him the opposite direction. Thankfully, I'm not the only one who feels that way. In fact, Jesus had a number of encounters with people where he had to remind them, just be with me. One of the most famous that you probably are aware of is is Jesus and his disciples were going through a town. There were these two sisters, Mary and Martha, who interacted with Jesus. They were actually the sisters of this guy, Lazarus. So somehow they got connected with Rabbi Jesus and they said, why don't you come home to our house? Because, you know, Martha and Mary are wonderful hostesses. And so Jesus and his disciples show up at the house and Martha is the consummate hostess. She's like Diane. She just opens her home and begins to, here, have some seats. She cleans stuff up. Probably didn't even need to clean anything up because it was already probably spotless, right? Not my house. And then she then runs into the kitchen and begins to prepare, you know, drinks for them and begins to knead the dough for some bread. And then she, she brings the drinks out to them and asks them if they could eat. And then she runs back in and begins to cut up some dates and other things that she might be feeding them. And as she's doing this, she goes, my goodness, there's so many things to do. How am I going to get to it and she realizes why am i doing this by myself where's mary mary she's trying to be quiet because she doesn't want to interrupt jesus and stuff but she starts where, where is mary but she just keeps working and finally she takes a platter and she walks out to bring it to jesus and she stops as she comes to the doorway and realizes there's mary mary is seated at jesus's feet as if she were one of his disciples the audacity of this girl and so she just stands, first she brings the tray out and she's kind of trying to make eyes at Mary like, come on, let's go. And Mary's ignoring her because Mary is completely, you know, connected in her listening to what Jesus is saying. And so Martha kind of stands at the doorway like, Mary, Mary. You know, she's trying to be low pro because she is a professional hostess. But my goodness, girl, wake up. And finally she's had enough. And so she finally just, excuse me, Jesus, excuse me. And Jesus looks up and goes, yeah. She goes, um, listen, there's a ton to get ready to care for you because I really want you to be comfortable. And my sister seems to think that it's okay for her to sit out here when I'm in doing all these things. Can you please tell my sister to help me? And Jesus is just kind of listening to the energy that's rolling off of the... It's an energy under control because Martha is really good at keeping it down, but he, he reads between the lines. Martha is agitated. And Jesus goes, Martha, you are upset and concerned about so many things. And your sister, she's, only one thing really matters, and your sister has chosen it, and that's not going to be taken from her. Only one thing is necessary. I find in my own life, I am often upset and concerned about many things. And in the midst of being upset and concerned, I forget 
about the thing that is most important, that abiding relationship. And so even though I may be teaching about it today, this is something that I have to be reminded of time and time and time again. The last time that, other than this week when he had to remind me yet again that my identity is not through what I do but through who I am, back in November, I... um, I was up in Palomar. Every quarter, part of the rhythm of my self-care is every quarter I try to get away for a a night or two just to be with God. And I find that I can hear his voice most clearly when I'm up in the mountains away from all of everything else. And so I try to go up to Palomar where our men have our men's retreats. I love it up there because it's kind of in the middle of this wilderness area and I can just kind of walk around and get lost. I know where I am, Kathy. I'm not truly lost and there's not bears up there. Um, otherwise she won't let me go again. But I, I love to go up there and just wander and listen and be still or not still, just be walking with God. And I'll... But this last time I went in November, there were lots of things I was concerned about. I had the elder retreat where we were going to begin prayerfully planning 2018. I had the budget Um, for the church that I had to think through. I had all of these things that I carried up the mountain with me. And I made the mistake of bringing my computer and some books and my journal, all this kind of stuff. So I just came not really prepared to listen. Instead, I came to work. And I spent the first 24 hours up there on my computer doing work. And so on the last morning that I'm there, I wake up And I have this sense of urgency, like I don't want to miss it. I'm here to meet with Jesus, and I haven't really given any space to meet with Jesus. I better meet with Jesus. So I I grab my backpack, put on my sweatshirt, because it was about 5.45. The sun hadn't come up yet. Um, and And I grab my backpack with my hammock in it, and I began to kind of wander down the mountain to my very favorite spot on the entire mountain. It's this place where the stream that runs beneath the camp comes right by, and and there's a couple of saplings that I ended up hanging my hammock, and I laid right next to this stream to spend time with God. We can throw that. You have a picture of it? Yes, no, maybe so. There we go. So, this this is where I was at 6, 6 6.15 a.m. on that, that last day there. It was a little chilly, but it felt like I needed to have my shoes off. I apologize if you're distracted by that. As I'm laying there in my hammock with this beautiful stream coming by me, I've got my Bible in one hand, and I've got my phone in the other because this is what I keep my notes on. I've got the, you know, so I've got it there, and I'm literally thinking to myself, because even though I'm there, I'm still in Martha mode. And I've got my Bible in one hand and my phone in the other, and I go, okay, God, here I am. Speak to me. What do you want to tell me? Is there anything you want me to read? Is there like a word you want to give me? Give it to me. (laughs) I know. I know. That's exactly how God wants us to connect with him, right? Great posture, Eric. And I felt like in that moment, God very gently and very lovingly, but very directly, brought Kathy into my mind with this question. I didn't hear this audibly, but I got it. Is this how you spend time with Kathy? And there was a smile on it. I I could just sense this smile on his face. He wasn't being punitive. He wasn't being mean. He was honestly just kind of like, hey, 
is this the posture you take when you hang out with your wife? And I was a little bit taken aback by it. Like, well, no. Like, I, I spend time with Kathy not because I'm trying to get something from her, not because I want, like, the honeydew list or I want to learn something new about her. I spend time with Kathy because I love Kathy. I want to be with Kathy. And gently, but directly, I felt him just go, you maybe want to try to spend that time with me like that? <laughs> and it was like in that moment where it felt like he just flipped the switch from Martha mode to Mary mode. And I felt permission to put the Bible down, to put my, my, my journal or my notebook, my, my phone down, and just be. And over the next two hours, I just laid there in the hammock and listened to the stream flow by. Listened to the birds as they began to chirp in the trees, as they began to celebrate the dawning of a new day. Watched as the sun crept over the mountain and began to light the colors in the trees from the top down. I didn't want to, I didn't want to leave that place. And those two hours were probably the two most restorative, rejuvenating, restful hours that I've had in a very long time. But those moments come to an end as well. And so eventually I had to pack up my bag, take down my hammock, put my shoes back on, hike back up to the camp, pack up my room, put it in the car, and drive back down the mountain. And I didn't want to leave, but here's the thing I realized. Even though I was leaving that place, which to me feels like Gethsemane, it feels like that place I can go and meet with God, even though I was leaving that spot, I wasn't leaving God. Because he was with me. That word, when he said, would you just be with me? That word, with resonated powerfully for me. And that was the word I carried down the mountain with. It's a reminder that my Father God is with me every step of every day. And so whether I'm driving through traffic, whether I'm unpacking my clothes, or whether I'm giving my wife a kiss or wrestling with my boys, He is with me. So I may have left the mountaintop, but I didn't leave my father God, and he didn't leave me. Because he's with us 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You know somebody who really got this? Somebody who really understood this idea that God is not just with us when we show up to church on Sunday for an hour and a half. He's not just with us during those 15, 20 minutes, hour that you might spend early in the morning doing your quiet time or when you're reading your devotional on your phone, but that our Father God is with us every single moment of every single day. The person who really got this is a guy named Brother Lawrence. And he was nobody you would probably write home about. He wasn't educated, but he found himself living in a monastery amongst other men, and his job was to clean the monastery. And yet this man understood that what, it, what it really means to abide because he recognized that God was with him every step of every single day. And so, ultimately, he came to the conclusion that he was just as close to God when he was washing dishes as when he was on his knees in worship in the sanctuary. 
And so everything he did became an act of worship. Everywhere he went, God was right there with him. And everything that he did, from washing dishes to scrubbing the floor, to interacting with another person, to sleeping, everything was an act of worship, was an act of communion, was a product of his abiding relationship with his Father. Can you imagine what would happen if we began to live our lives as if God is in every moment and is with us in everything, not just in these few moments that we have together on a Sunday morning or when you open your Bible, that that's the only time that he'll come and be with you. How might that change the way we go to school, the way you interact with your friends there? How might that change the way you drive in traffic? One of the ways it's been changing for it for me this week is the reminders to simply turn the radio off and commune with God, rather than simply distracting myself, actually carving out space to be present with and listen for his still, small voice. What would it look like if we recognized that when we're at work, our Father God is there with us too? And when we're home, interacting with our families, doing all of the, even when you're cleaning your house, washing dishes, washing the car, vacuuming, doing laundry, in every single moment of every single day, our Father God is there with us. Because I think a lot of us don't view ourselves like this. We recognize that we need to be energized, but we approach it more like a cell phone. Plug it in for a little bit, let it get charged up, unplug it, and go about doing what we were designed to do off of the, char- st- uh, the, the stored charge on that phone. And so we need to make sure we get here one or two Sundays a month at least to get that charge back up. We need to make sure that we pray at a meal and maybe open the Bible or at least do a devotional once every couple of days to make sure that charge gets up. But ultimately, we're operating off of our own energy. May I simply tell you, as somebody who had done that far too much in my life, even as a pastor, that that is a wonderful way to become dry and empty and for your relationship with God to become nothing more but an empty religion that you do out of obligation and responsibility rather than as an opportunity to respond to Him. You will find yourself reading the Bible because it's expected rather than coming to Scripture expectant that your Father God is going to meet you there. You'll come to worship on Sundays because you have to, not because you want to. And this, your relationship with Him, your abiding with Him, will become nothing but a dry, calcified religion, a, a, a list of rules, rather than a relationship that is living and breathing, and dynamic, a give and take, an adventure even. That is what I want for us. That is what I want for myself and my wife and my boys and my family here, is that we would not simply follow a set of rules and tenets and thou shalt not. 
that we would have a living, abiding relationship with our Father who created us to do life with Him. We were made to plug directly into Him and to remain plugged into Him every moment of every single day. Okay, cool, Eric, I'm in. I like that. That sounds good. Sure, I'll adopt that. But how? Right? Because it's one thing to say, this is what we want to be about. Sounds good to me. But how does that become a reality in my life? Or we are going to continue to talk about this over the coming weeks and months. But let's today address this question. How do we, as a church, intentionally plan to utilize the time that we have together to make this a reality for each of us? I'm glad you asked that question. That's a really important one. Let's talk about it. Um, First off, this desire that our relationship with God would be the foremost focus of our lives shapes the way that we do Sunday mornings. It used to be, and in a lot of churches I've found, but also even in the way that I prepared messages, it used to be that our focus was the message is the focus of the entire service. This is the most important time. It's like the crown jewel and everything else we do from the announcements to the opening worship and if we do any closing worship, closing worship, all of that ultimately is, is like the setting that holds the message. No pressure. But if our purpose of this time is to draw us into a more intimate relationship with God, to kind of strip away some of the distractions so that we can take one more crank into intimacy with God, then the message is not going to lead to the transformation that we want. Only an encounter with our Creator, only sensing His presence and submitting to Him is going to have that transformational effect. Information won't give us transformation. And so I have come to realize that the purpose of me writing a message is not simply to give you information that supposedly is supposed to change your life. The purpose of me writing a message is to usher you and to prepare your hearts to enter into communion with your Creator. Both here as well as when we leave this place, knowing that He goes with us. And so that's why we have built into the end of every single service a response time. One of my teaching values, every time I teach, one of my primary teaching values is that there is a clear response to the message so that we get to begin putting what we're talking about into action. Begin practicing it. Begin allowing it to seep into our hearts so that hopefully it will begin to shape us. And that's why we have the worship team come up and we have a response time. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that the only way that we respond is by singing songs. Although that is a time to kind of lead us in that. And sometimes the words of those songs are the cries of our heart. And so we sing them as a declaration that this is my prayer, God, that this would be true of me as well. This is how I feel of you as well. 
But sometimes the best response during that time is for you to simply sit where you're at and allow God to continue to do the work he's begun in you because something, maybe a a kernel of what I said, kind of found purchase in the soil of your heart. And maybe that time is simply best spent allowing God to begin to work it deeper into the soil and to allow his spirit to begin watering it so that it can begin to take root and ultimately to bear fruit in your life. Maybe the best way to respond is to stand up or to come forward and kneel down because I have found that oftentimes the posture of my body leads the posture of my heart. So when I raise my hands, it's an act of of declaring, God, you are good. And when I get down, it's an act of surrender and submission and saying, God, I, I kneel in your presence and humbling myself because you are God and you are good. Sometimes the best response is, is, man, I'm carrying something around and I've been kind of holding on to it silently, trying to do it by my own strength. And I'm tired of trying to do that by my own strength. So I want somebody else to join me in bringing this to the foot of the cross. And that's why we, we carve out space for prayer. And today, during our response time, I'll be up here in the front. I'm going to have Randy and Patty over here. And then I'm going to have Hefe in the back. Um, Jeff will be back there. If you, want, if you want prayer, that's a time during our response time. So that's the first thing. That's the first way is we use this Sunday morning time that we have every single week to intentionally try to, try to draw us into a, an awareness of the presence of God. It's not that he's only here. He's with us 24-7. But this is an opportunity for us to to lay down the distractions and just come into his presence and go, God, what do you want to say to me? What do you want want to do in and through me? Have your way with me. Secondly, um, we are going to be intentional. Even though the purpose of teaching is to usher us into God's presence and kind of help us get into a posture, we do recognize that there is a value in this. A lot of time and thought and prayer goes into every single conversation we have. And so our teaching schedule this year is going to be shaped by our desire to draw into ever deeper communion with our Father. And this is no more true than the, you know, the next message series that we're going to do beginning in February is exactly in line with that. We are going to do a series on the spiritual practices We are going to explore the different practices that Christ followers, men and women, have been doing for centuries to help them strip away the distractions and draw into an ever deeper communion and and abiding relationship with their Creator. I'm really looking forward to it, not just for you, but for me. Because when Russell began to share with our life group about the, the, the practice of liturgical prayer... And at first, I'm just like, yeah, okay, go ahead. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that, that's quaint. And then all, all of a sudden, they realized, oh, my goodness. I don't think I've given a fair shake to something that, oh, my. That actually would be hugely beneficial. I began to see something that because it felt churchy, I had kind of dismissed. I began to recognize the value of that to helping me draw into a more abiding relationship. And so the question we're going to enter into that discussion for about two months in the different spiritual practices is let's strip away all of the other stuff and what 
purpose does this serve in the lives of those who are, who are pursuing Jesus? How can this help us draw into a more intimate relationship with him? So our teaching schedule will be shaped by this desire to have a greater intimacy with God. Thirdly, there are some of us in here that, that in a lot of ways feel as if we are frauds, that we don't really belong because we don't know all of the right words. In fact, we don't, we don't really spend much time at all in here. The only time we crack the book is when Eric directs us or Jeff directs us to open it up. That's about the only time during the week that I ever spend any time. So I come in here and I try to look like a good Christ follower, but honestly, I don't even know what that means. That Christ follower, what does it mean to follow him? I want to know God, but I don't really know him or know about him. And I, I have a lot of questions and I'm embarrassed to ask them because I feel like I should already know, right? And so we feel like imposters in here. And so one of the things that I'm excited to introduce to you is something that we've been praying about for a while, and that is that we, I've wanted to have a, a Bible study that really gave some of the foundations for what it means to walk with God, what it means to draw into an abiding relationship. What do we actually believe and why do we believe it? And we've tried to do this in a couple of different ways. We tried to do it um, up front, but really there's not the time to, to let it kind of stew in there. We've tried to do it in a one-on-one discipleship. And, and if, if anything, I felt like while it was a closer step to it, it, it shifted what that, that life on life is supposed to look like. It made that become more academic. And so I go, that's not the right fitting for that. And then I had my buddy Ray and Tim Bundy come up to me and they said, you know, Eric, we really feel like the, the church would benefit by having a, a foundations Bible study. And I go, I agree. And they, and they said, and this was music to my ears, and they said, and we would like to lead it. And I said, I agree. Because these are men, by the way, these are the men who vetted Kathy and I as we were preparing to come into leadership. Both of them have been elders in our church, continue to have a voice in who we are as a community. These are men I trust and respect deeply. And so they're going to be leading a foundations Bible study that will meet from... And Vic, see if you can find this uh, in our announcements that we didn't use. Our foundations Bible study is going to run... For two months, it'll be eight weeks. It'll be from 8.30 in the morning until 9.30 in the morning on Sundays, which means you get to show up a little bit early and have a conversation about what you believe and why you believe it fully based off of Scripture. They're going to only stay pretty much in the book of John. And for eight weeks, just continue to put down the roots of your theological understanding, strengthening your theological worldview and understanding what it is that God is inviting you into. And then come and worship with your family afterwards. So I'm excited about this. I'm grateful for it because it frees us up to do something else with discipleship that I get to share with you next week. I can't wait. This is something that God started percolating in, in my life about eight years ago. He, he gave me a vision for what this discipleship thing is. And I get to share that with you next week. So you don't want to miss that. But here's the point. Our Father God has not invited us simply to know more about him. 
He hasn't invited us to go do lots of things and shine really brightly or or tie on lots of fruit onto our lives so that he will draw near to us. He loves us. And he invites us to draw near to him. And it's through our abiding connection with him that our lives bear any sort of fruit. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward because now we are going to enter into what I would consider to be the most important part of our morning. Now, we're going to carve out some space to be with our Father. He's been with us the whole time. But now I'm going to get out of the way. And we're going to, we're going to sing a few songs. Now, this first one that you're going to hear is a new one. You may simply want to, to let these words wash over you. This is one of my favorite worship songs that God uses um, often my family return to it and we, sing, we just kind of let this song wash over us. And so you may just want to sit and let this cry for God's intimate nearness to be the cry of your heart. You may want to come, let the posture of your body lead the posture of your heart. So maybe you want to come down here and kneel down or just stand where you are and, and raise your hands and, in, in surrender. Maybe you want to pray with somebody. And if that's the case, Kat and I will be up here straight you guys will be up here the leaves will be back there we're here to pray but now let's spend some time abiding with our father god